if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, the 13th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. The Democrats are coming for Amy Coney Barrett. She takes her first round of questioning today after yesterday's opening statements. Uh, we're going to monitor that the best we can in between our segments. Uh, and we are going to get some analysis firsthand from uh, a guy who knows a thing or two about Supreme or Supreme Court um nomination hearings and uh, confirmation hearings, rather, uh, Peter Kirstenau. Peter Kirstenau is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a um, Cleveland attorney. He is a host here on AM 1420, The Answer. He's a columnist for the National Re- Review and a best-selling author. And, Pete, you have testified before multiple confirm- or at multiple confirmation hearings. I'm a little surprised to see that you're not in D.C., either virtually or personally, right now for Judge Barrett. Good morning. Yeah. Hi, Bob. How you doing? Uh, beautiful day in Cleveland. Um, feeling pretty good about the election coming up. And I think, you know, yeah, I have testified in five Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings. Didn't get the call this time. It's unclear uh, what their schedule is going to be with respect to or if they're going to even have outside witnesses. Uh, right now, we know that uh, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be testifying today and tomorrow. Typically on Thursday, they have experts come in to testify about discrete aspects of the law uh, and the nominee's record. And it's unclear whether or not they're going to follow that format again, because this is a little bit different, and they are trying to see if they can get this thing done in a timely fashion. Uh, it will be done, and I'm confident of that. I'm confident, I mean, as, as we've discussed in the past, in fact, I think I may have first mentioned Amy Coney Barrett's name to you about three years ago, uh, because she came to my attention by virtue of my special assistant who used to clerk for her at Notre Dame, and who... W- unbidden, without any kind of prompting, before Amy Coney Barrett was on anyone's radar screen years and years ago when I was interviewing my assistant, I, you know, she was from Notre Dame Law School, and I asked her, you know, who's your best professor, and she just was effusive about this person called Amy Coney Barrett, and she said she will be on the Supreme Court one day. She's amazing. Um, and just more importantly, not only the best professor at Notre Dame, which is kind of the consensus there, and she was also the number one uh, student at Notre Dame when she was a student there. Um, but it, it was that uh, the students and everyone who's interacted with her thought that uh, she was just an extraordinary human being. 
as usual, what we see in these confirmation hearings, and again, I've testified in them, I've seen it personally, and uh, not only, by the way, are the nominees ex- uh, subjected to just the, the kind of ridiculous kind of scrutiny from Democrats and the smirching of their reputations, but uh, witnesses very often are too. And that's why, you know, you try to be as prepared as you possibly can. And I had a lot of fun testifying in those hearings because, among other things, uh, on the Senate Judiciary Committee for a while, there was someone called Joe Biden. And I'm here to tell you, before Joe Biden started experiencing any type of cognitive decline, he was operating from a low base to begin with. I don't mean to be pejorative about him, or, or, but, uh, but I have been saying that to people because I was astounded when my first time in testifying before Joe Biden on the Senate Judiciary Committee at how obtuse he was. Um, again, I hate using terms like that, but those are the best descriptors possible. He was completely close, and I came back and I remember telling people, this is the dumbest senator by far uh, I've ever encountered. And not just dumb senator, this person, you wondered how it was that he kept his position. And this is before the cognitive decline that we've all witnessed. But anyway, long response to your question about uh, the, the hearings. I, I think it's um, going to be interesting to hear Amy Coney Barrett in her own words today and maybe tomorrow. Uh, I think she's brilliant. I think she's going to get confirmed. I'm ecstatic about that. We have a rigorous constitutionalist on it. And one of the things that I think your audience, I know what impressed, one of the things that impressed me was she's getting a lot of blowback from the Democrats because of her uh, alleged criticism of John Robertson, NFIB versus Sebelius, Um, you know, because they're making it all about uh, Obamacare. I think that... Anyone who didn't criticize that decision would be make me and most conservatives very, very nervous. The fact that she, um, you know, looked at that from a legal perspective and said, "Well, you know, there's some issues here," makes me think that you know she's going to be very good on the bench. Pete, um, go a little deeper on that. Then you see, and the reason they're going after her. Um, and her previous statements about the ACA, and, and of course they're going through her to criticize and rip Donald Trump, saying that he wants to uh, destroy the ACA in order to take away 20 million people's health care, in order to take people's uh, protections uh, from uh, or coverage of pre-existing conditions away, and so on and so forth, is because I think they realize they really cannot go after her on her faith. They cannot repeat what Diane Feinstein said about the dogma living loudly within her. Uh, if they go after her for any anything having to do with her faith or her family and this is you know another part of it we had heard this earlier on and i think they're listening to the coverage of this and realizing this is a loser you cannot go after her for her family for her adoption of two haitian children and all the other things you know uh because what she was being what was being said about her since uh, her her name came up as a potential uh nominee by president trump is that how can a woman with seven children school age kids um possibly devote the time needed to the court and then if she's devoting all of her time to the court how can she possibly devote the time needed for those kids are they going to be raised by nannies you go after her on being a working woman or being a catholic i think it's terrible terrible optics for the democrats so they're going to choose what else can we go after on not qualifications you you listed everything about her career and she's so extraordinarily well uh, re, uh regarded by everybody those who taught her and those who learned from her so they got to have something and the ACA is it that's all they've got right right and it's not about Amy Coney Barrett you've, you've nailed it uh they know that that's a loser Amy Coney Barrett is going to get confirmed 
Um, I think, I forgot who it was, the, the great Molly Hemingway, who has written a book on, on Supreme Court confirmations with respect to Brett Kavanaugh, I think said it well, that if there's any kind of attack on Amy Coney Barrett, it's going to come after the hearings, because that's been the Democrats' modus operandi over the last several confirmation hearings. They drop something after the hearings are closed, such as with Kavanaugh, they came up with uh, Christine Blasey Ford. They always do it after it's closed. But there's nothing with respect to Amy Coney Barrett. They're going to have to manufacture something really, really extraordinary. Uh, Not that they're incapable of doing that. Um, You know, we saw it with Kavanaugh, but I think they suffered an electoral defeat in the 2018 midterms because of that. So I think that, you know, look, they've been chastened. So instead, this is solely about this presidential election cycle. They're searching around for what may resonate best with their voters that has some connection with the court. So they're manufacturing this specter of, well, if Amy Coney Barrett gets uh, confirmed, then that means that the ACA is going to go away, which is wrong. Um, but nonetheless, this is about a campaign. Uh, the Democrats don't care about the... Uh, I, no, let me just back up. The Democrats are less concerned at this point with vetting a potential Supreme Court justice than they are with putting Joe Biden over the top by alarming people sufficiently about the prospect of the ACA going away, meaning their base, than anything else. So that's what all of this is going to be about. They know they don't have the votes. They know that she's a fait accompli. And what they want to do is reserve their fire with respect to the Supreme Court, per se, for when they hope Joe Biden is elected and they have a majority in the Senate and then they can pack the court. Pete, do you think there will be any Democrat votes for her? No, no. To do so is an apostasy that is punishable by death, practically. You mean, they, one thing about Democrats... Not even a mansion? Uh, well, that's a possibility. I can't recall where Manchin's election cycle is. If he's more than two years away from his next election, I think that he won't even defect. But nonetheless... Okay. Um, I do think that it's going to be just a clean Democrat versus Republican vote at the end of the day. I don't think anyone's going to defect in this election cycle. That would be, I mean, my goodness, can you uh, imagine the Democratic interest groups that would go after that person, even a mansion? So um, I don't think she's likely to get any Democratic votes. Peter Kersenow is with us on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to go to the election next and find out why Joe Biden is telling 56% of Americans to not vote for him. Believe it or not, he did. Kersenow responds to that next, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1022. Let's continue on AM 1420, The Answer, with Peter Kersenow, a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Pete, a lot of ground to cover here uh, regarding Joe Biden uh, continuing to open his mouth and inserting his foot. Um, I, I want to continue since you mentioned that you know the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett is pretty much a fait accompli, and I agree with that. Uh, they can't stop it, so all they can do is punish and retaliate for it, which is what Chuck Schumer has threatened and promised, as a matter of fact, whether it be through the legislative filibuster being uh, uh, discarded, whether it be court packing, whether it be creating more Democrat Senate seats by making Puerto Rico and Guam and American Samoa and Washington, D.C. and other places 
states, etc. That's all they can do is essentially threaten to retaliate. Let's talk about one of those, and let's talk about specifically court packing. Joe Biden has been asked countless numbers of times in the last couple of weeks whether or not he supports what Chuck Schumer is threatening with packing the court with you know 11 to 13 to 15 to who knows how many Supreme Court justices. Kamala Harris refuses to answer it as well. And Joe Biden essentially you know laid it all out there in a question from an interviewer on uh, Sunday, actually, uh, when he said this. Well, sir, don't the voters deserve to know? No, they don't. Deserve. I'm not going to play his game. No, they don't right. deserve to know what I will do until they elect me. You elect me, then I'll tell you what I'll do. Peter, uh, to me, that is disqualifying. You don't deserve to know, American voters, what I will do. You vote for me, damn it, and then I'll tell you what I'm going to do. That's the order it's supposed to get. That's a disqualifying remark. The problem with that remark is not only is it disqualifying, because a lot of what uh, he says should, in ordinary circumstances, be disqualifying, uh, but this one is truly extraordinary. It is extraordinary to the point where it gets above the media noise. In other words, the filter of the media, which is rigorous to make sure that uh, Biden is protected and Trump is uh, is attacked, it cannot shield Biden in this particular circumstance. I think that's one of these things that hits everybody's ear. And no matter what the media tries to say in terms of, you know, move along, nothing to see here, that really resonates. It captures people's attention. Because not only does, is it insulting, of course, but not only does it confirm what we all believe, that is that the Democrats and Biden are going to pack the court, but what it does is it makes people wonder what the heck else this guy has planned that he's hiding. He's, he's saying that voters don't deserve to know. What else don't we deserve to know? What other things do does King Biden and his, uh, you know, I, well, I'm going to be very nice, and Kamala Harris and the rest of the Democratic Party have in store for us that they won't tell us, that they say that their subjects are not smart enough or privileged enough to even have a right to know? Well, I, I really do think that's one of those things that if, and I, I'm sure Trump's going to do it, Every chance Trump gets, he must repeat three, four, five times in every appearance that Joe Biden said, you don't deserve to know whether or not he's going to pack the court. He said that you don't deserve to know it. And then ask, what else don't you deserve to know? What about the other things that they are now backtracking on, like fracking? You know, that, like he, he continues to flip flop on fracking and the raising of taxes and every other issue where we know intuitively that Biden is lying because we've seen this game plan before with the Democrats during an election cycle where they tack to the right and then they go back to the left once they they win an election. But this is, I think, one of those things that we may look back in retrospect after the election's over with and Trump wins and say that was an inflection point that, uh, you know, it was a, a self-own, it was, a, uh, you know, uh, one of these things that was a major mistake that contributed to continued Trump momentum in the last three weeks. And I do think it gives right. Trump momentum in addition to the fact that Trump is making his own momentum. Uh, for anyone who has seen his last rally yesterday, 
somebody injected this guy with amphetamines. That's what it looks like. This guy is indomitable. I don't and think they have to. I think the guy's just. A, I, I think the guy's just a cyborg. I, I mean, honestly, uh, he's, he, he's a machine. Uh, he is. He is. He is. Uh, Indefatigable. He is. Uh, he is just. Uh, uh, you know, a constant energy. He's like the Energizer Bunny. Uh, but Pete, I want to go back. Speaking of momentum, I want to get your thoughts on this before the bottom of the hour. A week ago, or last week, should say, Gallup came out with a survey that I did not know about until yesterday. Gallup reported 56% of Americans right. surveyed believe they are better off today yep. than they were four years ago. Uh, I just had Steve Cortez on uh, before you came on last hour, and he said that that is the highest number. It is. Uh, Barack Obama at the same point. Was it around 44%? He said this is the highest exactly. number since Bill Clinton. Was it around 60 in 95? Um, and, and, or 96, rather. And this is, of course, uh, you know, at a time when we, you know, the economy was going great in the mid-90s and so on and so forth. So that, that is telling because this 56% comes not now, excuse me, not eight months ago before the coronavirus pandemic right. shut down the American economy. It's in the middle of the shutdown. We're still shut down. We still have problems. And still, 56% of the people say, yeah, better than I was four years ago. And Pete, before you respond to that, I want you to respond to this. Uh, Gallup reported last week, 56% of Americans said that they were better off today than they were four years ago, would have been under the Obama-Biden administration. So why should people who feel that they are better off today under the Trump administration vote for you? Well, if they think that, they probably shouldn't. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> Did he not just tell 56% of Americans to not vote for him because they're doing better under Trump? Yeah. Yeah, look, for a guy who's been in, in, in politics for 47 years, he is just politically inept. And I think, again, that has to do with his decline. Um, I, I want to correct Steve Cortez on one thing. That 56% saying they're better off now than before, and yes, in the context of coronavirus, it's astonishing, but that is the highest on record. Bill Clinton didn't have a higher one. The, la the next highest one was in 1984. I may have, I may have misrepresented... I may have misrepresented okay. what he said. I was trying to remember. I, maybe what he said was that this is the highest since the Bill Clinton one, and, and, and maybe it is indeed higher. It may have, may have been. But the, the highest one prior to that was 47.5 under Ronald Reagan in 1984, after that gigantic turnaround from the Carter recession. Uh, so this exceeds, by comparison, in 2004, when Bush was reelected. Look at other reelection campaigns. When Bush was reelected in 2004, 43% said yes. When Obama was reelected in 2012, 44% yes. Uh, Trump has blown the doors off of that, but there's so many other inflection points there. You know, people are looking at the polls. You should rightly be nervous. We all look at the polls. We all get nervous at this time during an election cycle. But then they're all showing that if you look at the real clear politics, average of polls, Biden has roughly a national lead of about nine and a half to 10 points. Okay? Makes you very nervous. A 10-point lead, that's insurmountable. Well, remember, let's go back to 2016. Clinton, at the same point in the election cycle, had a 12-point lead nationally. However, this time, Trump has a 20-point lead nationally over Biden in enthusiasm. That's an extremely important metric. And that average lead expands to 33 points, astonishing in the swing states. Trump has the highest voter enthusiasm rating of any candidate since that measure began 52 years ago. 
Biden has the lowest. And here's the other thing. The, the enthusiasm gap is 20 points now. During the 2016 Clinton-Trump battle, it was 13. So Biden is in worse wow. shape right now, according to these metrics, than Clinton was. It is an astounding statistic that 56% of the people say that they are better off now, and they're still saying this in the midst of job losses and businesses closing, et cetera, et cetera. It's an amazing thing. Peter Kirsten, now back with us for one more segment after the news on AM 1420 The two sides to every story there's the mainstream media side and then there's the truth you are experiencing the truth the bob france authority on am 1420 the answer okay 1036 we continue on am 1420 the answer checking into the confirmation hearings and the questions and answers during the break there um Peter Kersenow, it appears that Judge Barrett is doing exactly what one would expect a woman of her intellect to do, and that is not giving the Democrats any fodder whatsoever to criticize. She's been asked by Dianne Feinstein uh, about uh, adhering to the law or about uh, uh, um, uh, putting her own personal opinions into her decisions. She said no. The Supreme Court adheres to the law. Policy decisions are not my forte. They are up to you. She also told Feinstein, I have no agenda to try to overrule anything, including Casey. I have an agenda to stick to the rule of the law, uh, or the rule of law, rather. Uh, and I think that's exactly correct. Uh, she told, um, she told uh, uh, Feinstein also, I do not think that we want judges to be legal pundits. That's not what we're here for. Uh, I interpret the Constitution as a law. It is not up to me to update the law. So she's trying to uh, quash any of the suggestions that she is there to overturn Roe or she is there to overturn uh, the ACA or she is there to do anything, uh, you know, specific other than just do what uh, she is supposed to do. And that is interpret the constitutionality of laws that are presented before her. Right. Right, and we'd expect nothing less from Amy Coney Barrett because that's what conservatives expect justices to do. Unfortunately, Democrats only expect conservative justices to do that and hope they will do that. They want their nominees to be activists and legislate from the bench. But as long as Amy Coney Barrett stays within the confines, the constitutional confines appropriately of interpreting the law and not making it or rewriting it, you know, that's fine. They don't have the votes. They know that. This is kabuki theater. Um, and it is for, as I said earlier, for the 2020 election, presidential election, and senatorial elections only. They, this is a time for them to get as much face time as possible. It's free advertising for them, so they're going to do that. At the end of the day, Amy Coney Barrett is going to be confirmed. Pete, uh, let's go back to the election now. And uh, you, you were mentioning, because I asked you about the 56% number, and you talked about the polls. You know, these two things really don't seem like they can both be accurate. That 56% of Americans, according to Gallup, are happier with their lives now than they were four years ago, yet Biden has a 10- to 12-point lead, depending on which poll that you look at. You point to the enthusiasm gap. Let me ask you this about all of that. There have been roughly 8 to 10 million, and I say 8 to 10 because I know as of Friday, the number was at 8. So there's been 8 to 10 million votes cast already in this election. And it is the 13th of October. 
We're three weeks away to the day from actually voting, and yet 10 million votes uh, approximately have already been cast. Is that a sign of the voter enthusiasm in favor of Trump that you were talking about? Or uh, does this indicate that maybe the Democrats who cannot wait to get rid of Orange Man Bad are out there in force this early? Or maybe is it a little bit of both? Do you have any feeling on that? Yeah, I, I have a strong feeling about it, and I think the metrics are clear if you look at it. And, and ignore the mainstream media's covering for Democrats. They're going to be doing that. Your listeners, and I've met so many of them, they use their own heads, they have their own eyes, they have their own ears. And I would encourage them to continue to do that because there are a lot of very interesting metrics out there. Again, don't dismiss the polls that are out there, but that's only one data point. And consider that all those polls were extraordinarily wrong in 2016. They got even worse in predicting the 2018 midterms. But here's a few things for them to keep in mind. Um, the pros, when you talk to the pros on this, the, the disinterested pros on polling, they can't square Biden's purported 10-point lead in the real clear politics average of polls with the following data points, that Trump currently is polling 20 points higher among Hispanics than he did in 2016, 10 points higher among blacks than he did in 2016. The only way you can reconcile all those numbers with Trump being purportedly behind is if he had a catastrophic collapse of white support or there was unprecedented voter enthusiasm for Biden, but no, neither of those have occurred. Voters who've been reluct who reluctantly voted for Trump in 2016, they're going to walk across molten lava to vote for him today. There's been no defection. And as I mentioned earlier, Trump has record high voter enthusiasm and Biden has record low. I mean, the, from the time that metric was measured, Trump's got the highest, Biden has the absolute lowest. Can you recall any presidential campaign in history where zero supporters showed up for a campaign event featuring both members of the ticket? That's what happened in Arizona a couple, de couple days ago. Nobody showed up. Extraordinary. And then you contrast that with yesterday's rally with Trump. That means something, because those folks are going to be coming out. The other thing is, if you watched footage of the lines, there was a line in Cleveland, there's a line all over the place. Look closely at those lines. There's something revealing in there. Because you've got, as in one, I think it was down in Georgia, thousands of people standing in line for six hours. Nobody had a face mask, no social distancing. Now, wh whatever you think about that, the takeaway from that is those were not Democrats. Because the polls show quite clearly, there's a poll that shows it has a series of questions with respect to coronavirus. Democrats, by a margin of as much as 70 points are more likely to say they're con concerned about being in crowds, uh, they're concerned about somebody not having a face mask, they're concerned about all these things. So when you see a line like that, it's more likely than not you're standing among conservatives. But here's the other thing in terms That's of these major point. polls. And in terms of these major polls, look at every single one of them, and they show the measure of how many people in the sample are Democrats, Republicans, Independents. Almost all the models have Democrats oversampled by five to eight points. Now, standing alone, that's not necessarily ridiculous because it depends on which states you're talking about, depends on some of the polling data and, and so on and so forth in terms of the number of registered votes in that particular state. But this year, there are two major problems with an oversampling of Democrats by five to eight points because it incorrectly assumes a huge Democrat voter turnout advantage. Again, think about that enthusiasm gap. And number two, mm -hmm. Republicans, here's the critical point, 
Republicans have been significantly out-registering new voters in swing states. For example, in Pennsylvania alone, that Trump won by, what was it, 36,000, 37,000? Republicans have registered 165,000 more new voters than Democrats. So that doesn't really compute. And Republicans have knocked on more than 20 million doors in the last few months, averaging more than a million per week. As of September 30th, Democrats have knocked on absolutely zero. Downstream and local Democratic candidates are really nervous. Some are outraged by this, but they're hostage to the national Democrat COVID rhetoric. In other words, they they can't say, oh, this is the worst thing in the world, and Trump screwed it up really badly, and then go out there and knock on your door. In the swing states of Pennsylvania and North Carolina alone, Republicans in Pennsylvania, for example, knocked on 1.2 million doors. In North Carolina, I think it was 845,000 doors. Democrats have gotten so reliant upon the, 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 the uh, press that has been shielding them and attacking Trump that they've abandoned the proven fundamentals of campaigning. Now, and we'll see whether or not you can do that, if you can rely on a virtual campaign and hope that the same media that has been, uh, for the last four years, proven that they are carrying water for Democrats and coming up with all kinds of lies about Trump that are now transparent and been revealed from Russiagate to, to Ukraine to you name it, whether or not they can carry the Democrats across the line. Peter Kirsten, a tremendous analysis. I'm so glad I asked that question, and I love that uh, observation. I would not have guessed that or thought about that, perhaps, uh, when you look at those lines and you look at the maskless and uh, la- lack of social distancing, probably indicating people who are not afraid of the coronavirus, and that would generally be uh, more conservative Trump voters. Pete, I want to pivot to this as the last question. <clears throat> also, speaking about crowds uh, without masking. You know, we have been told that all of this summer's rioting has been um, just mostly peaceful uh, because it's righteous. You know, they ignored the billions of dollars in damage that have been done to multiple American cities in saying that it's still mostly peaceful. Uh, 93% of the uh, protesting that is going on is peaceful. That's 7%. Well, that's nothing, again, except for the fact that it is destroying lives and livelihoods. But, Pete, we're supposed to be okay with that, and the Democrats don't condemn that because of the righteousness of the cause, because George Floyd, because uh, Ahmaud Arbery, because Breonna Taylor, and on and on and on we go, because systemic racism, because police bad. There was another riot two nights ago. It was in Los Angeles. Seventy-six people were arrested. Eight police officers were injured as people threw things at them and attacked them. The righteousness in this particular particular case was LeBron James won a basketball game. The Lakers won their uh, the, the NBA championship. LeBron gets his fourth, and for that reason, rioting throughout Los Angeles. Pete, does this not just completely undercut the argument that what's going on in all of these riots and smashing and looting and vandalizing is rooted in some in some sort of righteous uh, indignation over uh, you know uh, systemically racist injustice in America, and what it really says is that for some people any excuse any excuse to riot is a good excuse to riot. Yeah, I think you know the great Edward Banfield in the book Unheavenly City wrote about rioting mainly for fun and profit. And I think there's a significant element of that here, because this is completely untethered to George Floyd or anything else. 
you know, uh, the Lakers won, so it's time to have fun, go out and riot, smash things. And I think people are done with it. They're done with it in L.A. Of course, California is gone because you know, there's just too many uh, uh, progressives out there. But nonetheless, there's a critical mass of individuals, and they're quiet about it because that's the way conservatives are who have decided that, what, defund the police in the context of this, this kind of anti-American universal attack that we've seen throughout America on the streets, people are done with that. They, they truly are. And I think that when you look at uh, so many of the different metrics that uh, are out there, they point to a Trump victory. Nobody wants to live in a country where they don't know whether or not somebody's going to be going through their neighborhood saying, no justice, no sleep, and smashing in their own windows and accusing them of being racist and all these critical race classes that are going on where people are being told that they are racist and there's nothing they can do about it. They're sick of being told that the greatest nation on the face of the earth in history is somehow irredeemably racist and flawed, and therefore we have to turn into a socialist, quote-unquote, utopia. We know what's happened with the other socialist utopias. I, I agree with you on, on all of those things with respect to the rioting, but again, let me give you another metric to consider, um, and you know this. I think whether or not people are sick and tired of this rioting and all these, these rewritings of history is reflected in the fact that the NBA Finals is down 70% in viewership. 70%, not 7%, which would be catastrophic, catastrophic, but 70%. People are voting with their dials, with their remotes. They're saying, I'm done with this. I can't tolerate it. You and I, and I Bob, have talked about this with respect to other sports uh, teams. Uh, we're done with it. I mean, I think, look, I will confess that uh, I peeked at or I listened to part of the Browns game on, on Saturday. If I don't have to see people kneeling and if these people are acting appropriately, then, you know, I want to get my football fix if I can. But nonetheless, the amount of football I've watched since the season began versus what I typically watch is down way more than 70%, more like 90%. Will I return to football? Maybe at some point when they get their acts back together. But nonetheless, that is the, one of the metrics we should look at is are people signing on to the woke agenda, which is part of the Democratic and Biden-Harris agenda. They clearly are rejecting it. Uh, you know, since you brought that up about football, I'll, I'll stay in the basketball realm because of the, you know, the Lakers situation. You did see, right, that the uh, um, uh, commissioner has essentially said, yeah, all of that Black Lives Matter on the court and all of the slogans on the back of the jerseys and stuff, yeah, we're going to put that away at the end of the season. We're not doing that next year. And that's because the ratings for the NBA Finals were down that 70% you're talking about. So my question is, is do you think that all pro sports will learn a lesson from the extraordinary loss of income and and revenue uh, and the failure of the NBA. In other words, you know, Roger Goodell has said, we are committing $250 million to the social justice and racial justice causes, and we are still committed to uh, doing everything we can to kind of placate BLM. Do you think that they will all walk back that stuff because they saw the failure of the NBA? They're going to do it very quietly. Yes, they are. There's no question. You cannot, 70% is catastrophic. If there was a 7% decline, there yeah, it's incredible. It is truly incredible. 7% is enough to get your attention if it declines 7% because each year it should go up a percentage. I haven't looked at the most recent TV contract between the NBA and, um, and the various networks, etc. But there are, there, are, there are escalator clauses in each year, typically. The presumption is that total viewership, regardless of ratings, but total viewership will incrementally increase year over year, and that's been the history. Maybe if there's a recession or some other type of extraordinary event, there may be a static 
uh, from year to year, or maybe even a 1% decline. 7% decline is extraordinarily alarming. It's, it's time to relook at, look at player contracts and, and expenses throughout the entire organization. 70%? When you have the marquee franchise in all the NBA, arguably at least, playing, and we're not talking about small market uh, franchises, and you're talking about the, the most well-known uh, player in the NBA today playing in that game, and yet a 70% decline, that's yeah. extraordinary. Some of that dislocation, I, I believe, is because the, the season is kind of messed up. But that doesn't account for 70%. No way in the world. That captures their attention. That captures the NBA's attention, also MLB's attention. I don't think you're going to see the kind of wokeism in succeeding years that you see now. But I do think they've got a thread and needle. They're very, very concerned about alienating one aspect of of the population, and that aspect happens to possibly riot or you know damage their stadiums or something else like that. So look, there is that kind of it used to be called the heckler's veto. Well, here it's the rioter's veto, and the Democrats are relying upon that also in terms of this election. The lesson learned here for all of those leagues going forward should be go woke, go broke. And that's exactly, exactly. what Exactly. Peter Kersenow, you're amazing, my friend. Thank you so much for your analysis of all of these issues. I appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. All right, 1052. We'll come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, last segment uh, is always a short one, but it's always enough time for a call or two. Uh, thanks again to Peter Kersenow. Let me go to Columbia Station and say good morning to Melanie on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Melanie. Go ahead. Good morning, and thanks so much for taking my call. Um, I, I'm, I'm calling today because last Monday uh, I went to our Columbia Station post office and the postmistress recognized me and she said, I drove by your house while doing driving our route and I noticed something really ugly on your lawn. I didn't really pay much attention, went to my box and came back and I started to think, oh, my God, she's referring to my Donald Trump sign. We, have, uh, we live on a, a major state route. We have 18 acres, so we have a lot of frontage, and we are very proud to have two very large 4 by 8 Donald Trump signs. Um, we have a, an only child who's a freshman at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. My concern is we still have not received his absentee ballot. Even more concerning is that the postmistress knows my name, my address, and my sign. Do I... How do I know that she didn't just drive around through the neighborhoods with a little notepad and check off boxes of everyone that has a Donald Trump sign and is tampering with mail? Uh, it's when very you say postmistress, if I may, um, Melanie, when you say postmistress, this is the, 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 the I didn't see, I, I think a postmaster general, I didn't realize, does each post office have a postmaster or postmistress? This is the top person at that post office. Is that what you're saying? I, I believe that that's how it's worded. Now, I'm not 100% on that, but she's the boss. She's the boss of that branch. She is the boss. Um, okay, that, that's the reason I'm asking, because I wanted to find out what you can do to inquire and, and to report this situation. To whom can you go? If she's the top person, the boss at that particular right. post office, that location, then you're going need to need to go above that. I don't know where that would be, but that is something you absolutely should report. Um, well, I think you should probably report that to your to your you know local um, uh, representatives. You know your state representatives. That's that's incredible. 
that a, that it's, a, it's a postal worker would tell you that I saw your ugly Trump signs. And why does yeah. she know that that's your place? How did she know exactly. you? And why would she confront you on that? That's that's Con- astounding. Confront me on me. Exactly. And and I was so appalled by this. I went back the next day because I wanted to talk to her about it. I wanted to have a civil conversation and, and ask just those questions. Uh, she was not working, yeah. but another employee was working. And the other employee said, she whispered, said, oh, my goodness. I heard what happened the other day, and I, I told her how upset I was, and I asked those same questions, and I said, I'm, we're still waiting on our son's absentee ballot. That has not arrived mm-hmm. yet. I know we, we were way before the deadline of October 5. I know they were to be mailed October 6. Here we are with today, the 13th. We don't have it. So this employee whispered, and she wrote down a number of consumer affairs, and she pushed it across the counter. So she she knows that that was absolutely wrong, and she said, "Well, yes, it's the talk of the post office." So right now, my wow. Donald Trump signs are the talk of the post office in Columbia Station, which I have to tell you, it's a very large Donald Trump population out here. We're very proud of. Well, yeah, no, I know it because I live very near you. I live very near okay. where you are because uh, I know you're okay. on, you're on 82. Then uh, I'm assuming, and and yes, oh, you're on East okay, River gotcha, Road. gotcha. You, okay, yeah, when you said uh, Columbia Station and a major state route, I assumed it was 82. But but at any rate, and I've got to go here, because, but call me back tomorrow, Melanie, because I would love to follow up on this. Um, that is astounding. And when they say that it's the talk of the post office, I wonder if it's just you or if this particular postmistress has said things and has done exactly what you said and tracked other people's homes uh, for, their, uh, for their Trump support. That's all the time we've got. We'll see you tomorrow.